Uh, this morning, I am actually very, very excited to talk to you uh, about a, a message that I entitled called Cheerful Generosity. I love talking about generosity. It's probably one of my favorite things to talk about. Now, some of you just clenched really, really big and grabbed your wallet. Listen, it's not about your money. I'm not here to get your money today. I'm not here to, to try to get more money. That actually has very little to do with money. When, it, when you really understand biblical generosity, it's really not about money. It's part of it, but there's more to it than that. I love talking about it. Here's why. I think that there's certain things that are really close to the heart of God that, that when we put them in the practice that we mirror God's heart for people. I think generosity is one of them. I think that when you and I, that if we could be marked by something, that if you and I could be identified as something, listen, in our lives, we've probably been called a lot of different things. Like how many of you have been called some things in life, right? Uh, hopefully generous was one of them. I'm talking about positive things, by the way. Get, get your minds out of the gutter. I'm talking about positive things. I hope that generous, that, that you are known as somebody who is generous. Now, generosity means more than just giving money. In fact, giving money is probably only one of like 50 different things and ways we can be generous. So I want to talk about cheerful generosity. It's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 9. That's going to be our main text. But before we get there, I do want to talk real quickly about the difference between tithing and generosity and giving. And here's my hope. Anytime I talk about generosity or giving or whatever, I, I always go into it with, I want you to hear the best message you've ever heard about it, not because it's flashy or because it wowed you, but because it's biblically and doctrinally sound. When it comes to our giving and comes to generosity, if you've been around church long enough, you know there is a lot of bad teaching out there. There just is. There's a lot of bad teaching. There's a lot of good intentions with bad theology, bad doctrine, bad teaching, bad manipulation of Scripture. So anytime I get a chance to talk on a specific topic like this, like generosity, part of my hope is that you'll leave here with a better understanding of, oh, that's what that means. I got it. Good. Now I can apply it. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to twist it. I'm here just to go into Scripture and show you what it says. But in order to talk about cheerful generosity, as discussed in 2 Corinthians, let's separate between what does it mean to tithe and what does it mean to be generous. Okay, those are two different concepts. Tithing in Scripture is literally means 10%. And what we believe, the Bible teaches that 10% of our income goes to the local church. That is the purest sense of tithing. It's a baseline for giving. In Malachi chapter 3, there's a great verse that says, uh, kind of lays it out. And I love this verse because it says literally, bring the full tithe to the storehouse. Bring your full tithe to the church that there may be food in my house. And the way to look at it is to say, okay, when I tithe, I'm giving part of my money to the church so that the church can continue to do the ministries and the programming uh, to reach people and to reach our city. That's basically at the heart of it, of what that's saying. But here's something that I find fascinating. And I think that anytime God says something strong in scripture, that there's a reason for it. And there's probably a reason for us to think about it for just a moment instead of just reading it. Because as the, the verse says, God says this, he says, thereby put me to the test. Now listen, I've been doing this a long time. Nowhere else in scripture does God say you can test him outside of this verse. And it's about our giving. Why do you think that is? It's not because God needs your money. It's because there's a principle in giving and blessing that God understands. And what God says is, test me. Like, if you don't believe me, like, if you don't believe that we should tithe and give, then God says, test me and see that I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. That's what that means. 
And so I want to just challenge you before I move on to generosity in your tithing and giving to test God in it. As Pastor Daniel said, thank you for those of you who give their crossroads. It's because of you that we have such an impact. It's because of you I was able to be in my office here for two hours teaching and training pastors literally across, across the country and, and parts of the world. Because of you, we're able to give 350000 back to the city every single year and make huge impacts right here in our city. And I could go on and on and on and on about the generosity of our church. But if it's, if it's a struggle for you, then all I say is test God in it. Just put God to the test and see what God does. See, cheerful generosity, though, that's all I'm going to say about time. See, that wasn't painful. That, wasn't, that was good, right? Like, we're friends still. You're all right. We're going to get through this. So I'm going to talk about that. Cheerful generosity. Cheerful generosity is kind of above and beyond kind of what our tithes would be. So we understand a tithe is 10%. That goes to the church. Great. But cheerful generosity and offering... It's above and beyond that. And it goes into all different areas of our life. That's why I love to talk about it. I love to talk about it because it's not just whether you have money or don't have money. It's based on you. It's based on what God's doing in your heart. It's based on your time. It's based on your talent. And we're going to talk about it in a moment. But, but generosity goes into how we forgive one another. How many know we can be generous in our forgiving of people? We can be generous in the way that we love one another. We can be generous in the way that we sit and talk to somebody that we completely disagree with with our time. We can be generous with our serving. We can be generous with our gift sets. We can, and, and the list goes on and on. See, it, it encompasses all areas of our life. And here's what I know. I want to say this up front. As we talk through this, I believe that most of you are going to be about 80 to 90% there. Here's what I think happens. And here's what I think is happening. I think that most of us would say that we trust God in most areas of our life. But I wonder if we trust God in all areas of our life. So even though tithing and being generous are different, they're very similar when it comes to trust. It's all about trust. If we're going to test God in something, then that means well, we got to trust God. If we're going to put our, our foot out there, if we're going to go forgive somebody, if we're going to extend a hand to help somebody, if we're going to care, then we have to trust. It comes down to trusting. Billy Graham says it this way about money. He says, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will straighten out almost every other area of his life. I think that's true when it comes to generosity as well. So here's our starting point this morning. Ready? Our starting point is this. It's simply a, a statement. God's got you. That's the starting point. Look at somebody next to you and just tell them, God's got you. Just tell them that. Here's why that's our starting point. Because if you don't believe that statement, generosity is going to be very difficult for you. When I say God's got you, all of a sudden in your mind and your heart, it forces you to either believe that or not. Do you believe that God's got you? And I think that most people would say in most areas, in other words, there's areas of our life that we don't stress over, right? We have areas of our life that we completely trust God with. We don't stress over, we don't worry about it. We kind of just give it over to God and that's great. But what about those areas that this morning, when you got up, it's still heavy in your heart and you're anxious about it? What about tomorrow? What about your future? Listen, this has been a, uh, <laughs> an interesting year to say the least for all of us, right? It's been very interesting probably putting it mildly. Some of you probably got stronger language you'd like to use. But it's been a very interesting year. 
not necessarily a bad year, which is interesting, just different. And I've seen more people stress and worry and live in fear this last year than I have in probably a long time. And when we do that, this is what we're saying without saying. I don't trust you, God. That's what we're saying. Let's just call it what it is. If you and I are anxious or stressed or worried, it's because we're not fully trusting God. There's a statement that I always say uh, anytime I talk about generosity and giving that I think it's very true. It just paints a good picture. It's very abstract, but it paints the picture. It's I often wonder, and I'll just speak for myself, why for me, I can trust God with my very soul for eternity. Like I accepted Jesus when I was a teenager in life. And, and when I accepted him late in my teenage years, from that point forward, I, I trusted him with my salvation. I've never really worried about whether I was going to go to heaven or hell. It's just, I just kind of gave God my life and trust him. It isn't amazing though, how I can trust God with my very soul for all eternity. And then I struggle trusting him just with simple day-to-day things. Isn't that bizarre? Does anybody else like that? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? That you trust God, that he's the God of the universe, and he saves your soul and, and he's building a place, like all the stuff we just sang about. And then we have a hard time just trusting him just with today. Whether that's with our finances or maybe it's our health report, maybe it's all things COVID, maybe it's, you know, work and relationships marriages. I mean, it's just amazing how we can get so stressed and anxious over the day-to-day, yet we trust God with like everything. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 says it this way. Matthew 6 says, therefore I tell you, and I love this first line, (laughs) he just says, don't be anxious about anything. Just don't be anxious about everything. He continues it and he says, don't be anxious about what you drink. Don't be anxious about what you wear. Don't be anxious about your body and what you put on. He says this way, he says, uh, is life not more than food? Is life not more than clothing? Is life not more than these things? And then he makes a a quick comparison. He says, look at the birds in the air, right? This annoying birds, birds everywhere. Look at these birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather up in the barns, and yet the Heavenly Father cares for them. And then he asks a rhetorical question, of course, are you not more valuable than they are? What a great comparison. It's as if they picked the most simple thing, like a bird. It says God takes care of the birds in the air. They don't worry about any of that stuff. Aren't you more valuable? And then he kind of gives you the one-two punch. And then he says it this way. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Boy, that one hits us, doesn't it? That one hits me often. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder to say, hey, if, I, if I'm worried or anxious about something, it's not adding anything to my life. In fact, it's probably taken away from my life, isn't it? It's probably taken away. I got a 22-year-old and a 16-year-old. If I let this beard grow out, it's white now. All right, that, that's, that's stressing me out. You know, things in our life like that. And which one of us can add? But, but boy, a 16-year-old, she can take gears off your life, that's for sure. It's not going to add things, but stress and worry, they they take away. They take away times that we could have enjoyed. I mean, I look back at my life and I look at times when I was anxious and worried about things and all the energy that went to that, that I could have used for something else. I mean, come on, like we all do that. And then we look at it and go, well, why, why was I even worried about that? It's fine. If God's in my tomorrow, I don't have to stress about tomorrow. 
I believe God's in my tomorrow. I believe he's in your tomorrow. So if the God of the universe who loves us and says, hey, don't worry about the birds, don't worry about what they do, don't worry about your life, how, you're not going to be anxious, don't be anxious, you're not going to add a single hour to your life by being anxious. And as if God is saying, oh, and by the way, I'm already in your tomorrow. So that's why we can live without the anxiousness. In Philippians 4.19, it says, my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory. I love that. It's a reminder again that God's got, God's got you. Now, it didn't say God will give you everything you want. He didn't say he's going to give you everything brand new. He didn't say he's going to give you like, and blow your mind with like all these riches. But he does say, I'm going to give you everything you need. The problem is that we aren't satisfied with just what we need. We want more. And there's nothing wrong with drive and there's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with that until our heart gets involved with it. So I'm going to talk about five generosity principles today. Five. And they all come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 15. What I'm going to do this morning, I do it a little different each time. I'm going to read the whole passage this morning, though. I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to go back and just kind of highlight five principles. And I, I just promise you this morning, as your pastor, listen, listen to me. If there's something when I, when I teach or preach that I just wish our church would believe, this is one of them. I'm just telling you, if you would believe what Scripture says about generosity— and how it impacts your life, God will do and can do amazing things. So here we go. We're going to start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 6. He says it this way. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver, let me stop real quick. He's not speaking about tithing here. This is about generosity. Remember, we split the difference. Okay, what he's saying is that when we're generous, we should be generous with what we believe in our heart we should do. And again, it goes beyond things like money. It goes into time, talent, forgiveness, all those things. Uh, verse 8, he says this way, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may be able to do every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every good way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. Verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Okay, a lot of principles there. A lot of talk about generosity. Beautiful passage. What I love about 2 Corinthians 9 is, in my opinion, it kind of puts things in real good perspective about what it means and what it looks like 
and the results of our generosity. Again, as I said, if there's something that I would love for all of us to be known as, it is a people who are generous. So what does that mean? Well, the first principle is this. Number one, write this down. The first principle is a simple one that most have heard before, and that is simply this, that you reap what you sow. How many of you know that to be true? You will absolutely reap what you sow in pretty much every area of your life. If you put the work in, you should reap out good results, whether that's with your health, whether that's with your career, whether that's in sports and athletics, whether that's in grades, whether that's in your marriage, whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in you being a good employee or a good boss, and on and on and on it goes. What you reap, what you put in, you will eventually get back out. Now listen to me very carefully. Listen, this is one of those bad teaching moments I want to correct for you. 2 Corinthians 9 is not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it prosperity message. Amen, somebody. Let us let me say it again. It is not, if you name it and claim it, if you blab it and grab it, prosperity message. It's not, it's not, okay, God, I'm going to put in $10 and I expect $100,000 in return because God's math is different than our math. I've heard that so many times. It's not about that. However, there is a principle of what you reap you sow, and the measure you use will be used against you. And there is a principle that when we give, God gives back. That is very biblical, but it's the attitude of it, right? Like I don't give to get, but I get when I give. That's a true principle. I don't give in order to be blessed. Like I don't give money, like Stacy and I don't tithe, and I don't give above and beyond with one hand and stick my other hand down and go, okay, God, give me that new car, come on. No, I have a Dodge Caliber sitting in my driveway. Okay, so there we go. Now my teenage son, or son's driving it, but still. He would love that principle to be very true. We give, we have a Maserati. Done. Next. How many of you have heard teachings like that before? I'm not here to knock anybody or tear anybody down. I'm just telling you it's not biblical. But what is biblical is when we give, God does bless. It's just the expectation of it. What we reap, we will sow. We'll sow. The other day was uh, March Madness kicked off. By the way, thank you for all your kind messages. <laughs> I'm making a point here about reaping what you sow. So for those of you that know, I am an Ohio State fan. Amen, somebody. We're, we're growing, we're growing. And you know, there's times I might say a few things about Ohio State from the pulpit. Well, the moment they lost, they lost to ORU, by the way, which, to be fair, my guess is at halftime, because they're a Christian college, they probably brought out the anointing oil. And it was like Ohio State plus their five and God. And how do you, how do you, I mean, come on. Like, you can't lose to, to five plus God. I mean, that's not going to happen. So, so I chalk it up that that was a spiritual battle that we lost, um, not a physical basketball thing. But because I do occasionally like to jab at, you know, the weaker ACC schools in the tournament or non-existing ACC schools in the tournament. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm already getting in trouble. The moment the buzzer, in fact, it was before the buzzer, the buzzer ended. I think I got 30, at least 30, text messages on top of social media messages, very sarcastic. Not, hey, sorry to hear about it. No, like, you deserve to lose, like that kind of attitude. So let me tell you, 
I know what it's like when it says you will reap what you sow, right? If you're going to play the game, you got to play the game, right? And I, by the way, I love the banter. I love it. I, I love when, except there was one Sunday early on, there was a guy that wore a Michigan mask to church on purpose, on purpose, and I don't think he's back again. I think he's, no, he's one of our main ushers. I love it. But the principle is the same. But here's where I want to take it. In Luke chapter 6, it spells this out in a way that, that's going to take it further than just what we can give, like tangibly. Watch this. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what most people like to do is just use the word give. They just pick that verse up from give, Pastor Daniel. They just say, hey, if you give, it's going to be pressed down, measured over, poured out, blessing back to you, which is true. But did you also see what it also says about judging, about forgiving? It's the same principle. When I forgive, I have forgiveness. If I judge, then guess what? Whatever measure I judge by, I'm going to be judged by. See, it's in all areas of our life. Whether it's in what we give financially, whether it's in what we give with our time, whether it's what we give in our effort, in our energy, but also, also, it's what we give when it comes to how we love one another. It's kind of like a relationship, like a friendship. We've all had friendships before, so hopefully you got some good ones now, and I'm sure we've had some friendships where it was very one-sided. It was a one-sided friendship where you were the one that always gave, you were the one that always forgave, you are the one that always, you know, helped, and the other one just took, took, took. And how many know that that just doesn't last very well? It's the same thing. It takes both of us. It takes all of us. It takes all of us to forgive one another. It takes all of us to love one another, to care for each other, not to condemn each other, not to judge each other. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin, not your job. It's God's job to judge people, not your job and not my job. And by the way, I'm grateful that I don't have to do that. Because if I don't have to worry about judging people or condemning people, then next, guess what I get to do? I get to be generous. I get to be generous with my conversations. That's why, that's why I can sit down and have difficult conversations with people that I completely disagree with. Because I'm not there to judge them or condemn them. It's just being generous with who we are as people. So the first principle is we reap what we sow. The second principle is this, number two. And this one, you have to understand this one. Generosity is spiritual. Generosity is not what we can give tangibly or physically. It is a spiritual thing. Did you catch in 2 Corinthians 9, it says that everyone should decide in their own heart what they should give. It is a spiritual condition. It is a condition of my heart. It's a condition of your heart. In fact, in Scripture, it speaks of this. It speaks of it and says that where our treasure is, that is where our heart will be also. Whatever we value most, how many of you know that has our heart? Whatever we value the most, that's what consumes us. And I'm just here to ask the question and make a statement of what would happen in our culture and in our own lives if, if God's people would value him first and most. Like if we would just value God most in our heart, if we would put him first in our heart, if we'd put him first in our life, if we would seek after him first, the Bible says then all those other things are added. 
Seek first his kingdom. Don't seek to make riches here on earth alone, but, but put them away, but put treasures in heaven. Like it's all about the kingdom. It's all about focusing on what we do and how we do it. It's where our heart is. The reason why some of you, and myself at times, have stress and worry and anxiousness is because our heart is pursuing something outside of trusting God. We've been wrapped up in something. And it's, it's, listen, it's been, a, it's been a really hard year not to step into those camps for a lot of reasons. But maybe it's time to come back and, and, and that song we sang, Christ Be Magnified. I keep coming back just to that statement and that feeling of, of wow, I, I got probably some work that God's got to do in my heart. I want to be able to magnify him 360 in all areas of my life, not just in what people see, but also in my thought life, in my heart, in my soul. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, we preached on this last month. It's a, it's a wonderful verse that puts it even into more perspective. He says it this way. He says, and this is Paul again writing to the church in Corinth. And he's making a point about spiritual giftings and about life. And he, he says it this way. He says, if I give away all I have. So just think about this statement. So just think about like, obviously they're, they're big statements. If I give everything I have away. So let's just assume one day you just give everything you have away. And if you deliver up your body even to be burned for the sake of Christ, like even if you gave everything away and you sacrificed your life for somebody else, that's pretty, that's pretty special, isn't it? Like that's, that's a generosity level that is just huge, right? I'm gonna give everything I have away. I'm gonna sacrifice my own life. But then watch this. You wanna talk about how important our heart is. He says this way. He says, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. If all that I do is for selfish motives, if all of my generosity is give with one hand and have another hand open just to take, that's not real generosity. It's selfish generosity. And I think too often we kind of blur those lines together instead of just being truly generous with who we are, again, whether it's our time, it's our forgiveness, it's our love for one another, it's our career path, it's money, whatever it is, that if we're not truly generous in our heart, it's going to come with selfish motives. Which leads to the next principle is this third principle. Again, I really like these principles. They're all found in 2 Corinthians 9. The next principle is simply this, is that generosity has to be intentional. It's, inten it's not accidental. Each one should decide in their heart what they should do. It's intentional. It's being intentional in relationships. It's being intentional in our career path. It's being intentional in how we serve, where we serve. There's, there's something that just comes with being intentional that allows us to be generous in an area that we've prayed over and thought about. I think that's so critical. It's so important for us to know that as we give generously, that it's also intentionality behind it. And by the way, we should do so cheerfully. Did you catch that part? That we should be cheerful givers. That our giving should be with glad and sincere hearts. Like we should not have these ulterior motives. Like it shouldn't be a pain to give. It shouldn't be a sacrifice to be generous. Now, we might sacrificially give generously, but it's, we shouldn't be doing it with this woe is me face on. In fact, Jesus talks about it when it comes to fasting. He talks about it in fasting. Hey, when you fast, 
Don't, don't walk around like you're starving to death, telling everybody you're fasting, do it in secret. He also talks about it in giving, that you shouldn't make this big announcement about how much you're giving in the offering and come in and be like, wow, look at, look at how generous I am, everybody. And I think so often, if we're not careful, we kind of blur those lines together. We know that's not true, but come on, how many times do you do something for somebody else and in the back of your mind you're thinking, they owe me one. They owe me one. You might not say that. And hopefully you don't even think that, but at times I'm sure that has come across our mind. Hey, I just did this, this, and this for that person. And they, they've not done anything. I've got nothing in return. See, it has to be intentional. In Luke chapter 21, I, Jesus again is making a statement. And this one has to do with, with giving at, in church, like money, but it's the same principle. It says, Jesus looked up. And he saw the rich putting in their gifts into the offering boxes. And then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. These copper coins translate to literally just a few dollars. And it was all she had, everything she had. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Well, how is that so? Because these, the rich were giving out of their extra, which was by far more than two small pieces of copper well because it was intentional and it was a heart issue now notice Jesus did not condemn by the way the rich given what they gave at all he didn't say it was bad he didn't say that it was shameful he just he was making the point on the other side saying that this poor widow gave all that she had and because she gave all she had it was intentional and it was something that was spiritual part of our heart and our being that, that in that sense, in that spiritual sense, she gave more than anybody else. And I often find great comfort in that because, listen, we're not all the same when it comes to our talents. Not all of you can be as extremely good looking, as talented as I am. I mean, you just can't. The world would be a dark place if that happened. We're all different. We have different levels of talent. We have different incomes. We have different bank accounts. We're in different phases of life. Some of you are running around chasing little kids all day. Your time is not as much time as other people have. You're busy. Some have more time, some have less time. Some have more income, some have less income. Some have multiple talents that have been crafted over years. Some have a few talents. See, what I love about this verse is that it doesn't quite matter. Because God can take and use all of us. And by the way, the church needs all of us. This church is not just looking for the most talented and the wealthiest people in Raleigh, by the way. Because it's all of us. And all of us working together, it's amazing how God can take little and make much, isn't it? It's amazing how God can take just a little bit and do something remarkable. You look at Jesus. Jesus had his disciples steal a little kid's lunch of fish and bread. And he fed 5,000 people with it. It's just amazing how in that sense, the math does not add up. The science does not add up. But it's so true that God can take the little that we have and do incredible things with it. So imagine what he can do with a group like this who are all being generous in all different ways. Imagine what can happen in our community. By the way, I wanna, at this point, I want to share just a quick, a quick teaching I know growing up, I always heard this, even for years in ministry, I always heard that Jesus 
speaks more about money than anything else. Have you ever heard that? Ever heard that before? Uh, that's actually not true. I just want to, as I was kind of writing this message, somewhere in here, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta help people understand. Uh, he speaks about the kingdom way more than anything else, but he does talk quite a bit about money. In fact, 11 out of the 39 or so parables are all about being generous and giving. And about one out of seven verses, he speaks about generosity and giving. So it's, it's definitely in the top five. That's not the most important one. But again, if Jesus is going to spend time talking about generosity and giving, how many know we probably should listen to that? We probably should lean into that and see what he's doing. Because it leads to number four. The fourth one is this. Generosity abounds, it grows, it excels in our good works. Did you catch in 2 Corinthians 9 the reason why generosity was so important? Did you catch it? I know we read a lot, but did you catch it? Did you catch the part where it spoke about because of your generosity, they were able to do the works they were called to do? That's one of the beautiful products and byproducts of generosity. When you and I are generous, it allows us as the church and church people to do the work that he's called us to do. In Ephesians 2 10, it says this way, that we are God's handiwork, right? We, he's crafted us and he's prepared us to do good works that he's already prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, we know and understand that we're not saved because of works. Like we're saved because of grace. Thank God, because we can't afford salvation. We can't pay for it. You can't do enough service hours to get saved, right? That's by grace. However, we are saved to do good works. Did you catch the difference? We're not saved because of good works, but we are saved to do good works. And the reason that we're able to do good works, well, it's because of our generosity. Not only because of your individual generosity, but because of the generosity of the collective, we can do great things. We can do great things. John Wooden said it this way. I, I like this quote. He said, you cannot have a perfect day without doing something for someone else who will never be able to pay you back. Isn't that a great statement? You're not going to have a perfect day unless you can do something for someone else who will never pay you back. This is a good reminder. Generosity goes beyond just what I can give financially. Generosity goes to how I can help a neighbor. It goes to my talent. It goes to my skill set. It goes to my kindness. It goes into forgiveness. It goes into the way that we love one another, the way we serve each other. And at that extent, at that list, all of us, all of us can be generous. Which leads to the fifth and the final point is this. And I love this one. I love the close on this one. Generosity points people to God. When you and I are generous, the result should not be people coming up and saying, Pastor Daniel, you are the most generous person I know. I, I love you so much. You're so awesome. You're so great. What should happen is I should see Jesus working through Pastor Daniel's generosity. Again, in 2 Corinthians 9, it's, these aren't foreign principles. 2 Corinthians 9, at the very end, it started to talk about the thankfulness and the thanksgiving that people had. And what happened was they were giving and being generous so the work of the ministry could continue and so it would flourish. And did you catch, they were saying they were thanking God because of it. They were thanking God because of their generosity. This is what true generosity looks like. It reflects the heart of God. God is generous. God gives. I, I often say that there's only a few things, there's a few things that if you and I would do and learn, it would absolutely reflect and show the world the heart and the nature of God. Serving is one of them. 
I believe that fully. When we serve, we reflect Jesus' heart because Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. And when we are generous, it absolutely reflects the heart of God. Well, how do I know that? Well, you don't have to look past John 3.16 to see that. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And he gave his only son so that nobody would perish. That is a generous God. And when we give generously, we reflect that heart. And we reflect that God. The last verses I want to read that I, I think are so impactful are Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11. I love these verses. Watch this. It says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. But watch what verse 9 does. Verse 9, to me, makes this so humanized in such a good way. In verse 9, which of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, sinful, right, we are sinful, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, here's why I love that verse. I have, as I said, I have a 22-year-old and a 16-year-old. I would do anything for my kids, anything. I'd even send one to Michigan if they wanted to go to Michigan for college. Only if they got a scholarship. I wouldn't pay for it. But if they got a scholarship, go blue, you know, but no. But otherwise, no. Uh, but I mean, uh, those of us that have kids, how many got kids in here? How many of you parents, you would do anything for your kids, wouldn't you? Anything. And in fact, it makes you emotional thinking about it. It makes me think about it. And we're sinful. And we're broken. And we would still do whatever we could for our kids. I love the human side of it because then he, what Paul does, he quickly turns it to the spiritual side in 2 Corinthians 9 and, of course, Matthew 7. For Jesus is saying this, it, it brings it home to the spiritual, beautiful level. Well, hey, if you would do that for your kids and you're broken and sinful, don't you think God's going to take care of you? Look at somebody next to you again and tell them God's got you. Church, my hope and prayer for you today is that you leave here believing that. That you believe that God's got you so that you may live a generous life. So that you may leave here living a life that is marked by generosity in a world that is so very, very selfish. With that, I want you to stand to your feet if you wouldn't mind. And, and I want to pray for us. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to pray uh, specifically as we close and then Pastor Daniel will come and give us some final instructions. Uh, I said this early in the service. I said I believe that most of you would be about 80% with me. And the reason I said that is not because you don't understand it or because you don't like it, but because I think that many, many people, if not everybody, is probably struggling in one area of your life that you are not fully trusting God in. And I'm just telling you, when you are fully able to trust God with your life, generosity comes natural. And so I want you to think about it right now. Just close your eyes for a moment here and online. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to, then I want to join with you in prayer over the answer. What area in your life right now causes you to have anxiousness and worry? What is it? And if it's nothing, praise God. 
but chances are most of you got something right now that dropped in your heart and your mind. Would you allow me to pray for you right now as we close? Jesus, right now as we begin to close, and Lord, just asking that question, what right now has a grip on us that's causing us to be anxious or to have worry or even fear or even doubt? My prayer is that our response would be, there's nothing because God, we trust you. But the reality is that there's probably many, many people here today that the moment we talk about what has us anxious, fearful, worried, there's probably something going on in our life that we're not trusting you fully in. We might say it, we might think it in our head, but in our heart, Jesus, right now, can we just give that to him, church, right now, just where you are with your eyes closed, just in your own way, just allow God to take that from you. Just allow the Spirit of God just to bring you peace, to bring you hope. So God, right now, I pray that you're just doing a wonderful work here in this room. That we've been able to leave here this morning with full hope, full encouragement, so that we can live a life that is generous, pointing people to God. So Lord, we cast all of our anxiety and worry on you. We put them on you, Jesus, and we say thank you for just freeing us from those to really become all that you have us be. In Jesus' name, amen.